Well, it is an honor to be with you today. Thank you for the privilege to speak here at Bellevue. I have such love and admiration for Brother Steve and Miss Donna. I would like to invite you to take God's Word and would you look for the book of Ephesians with me. So open up God's Word and we're going to be in Ephesians and I want you to find chapter number 5. At Christ's Place, the church that I'm part of in Georgia, we are walking through the book of Ephesians each Sunday. And so this is really in my heart. And when Brother Steve gave me this invitation, I just wanted to uh, bring a message that we brought recently that really stirred our hearts in the book of Ephesians. What a great book. Paul wrote a letter to believers in Ephesus. And Paul has a metaphor that he loves to use in the book of Ephesians, and it's the metaphor of walking. And I love that. He didn't call it a mad dash or fast race. He called it a walk. And that's what our experience with Christ is like. We're walking with the Lord. And so Paul talks about we're to walk worthy of the call of God on our life in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. He would also say in the book of Ephesians how we're not to walk. So before you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, you walk differently. You talk differently. You did different things. But when Christ comes into our life, it impacted our walk. And now we walk as believers. Now, when we get to Ephesians 5, that's where we will be today. He really talks a lot about walking. He says we're to walk in love. And we're to walk in the light, we're to walk in wisdom, we're to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and the pastor that I had as a boy would always say something like this, that our walk and our talk need to be in agreement. So whatever you're saying, you need to back it up with your walk. We need to walk out our relationship with Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 and I want us to see what it means to walk in love. That's our message today, walk in love. So let's begin by reading Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 and then we will unpack these verses together. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And here it is, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So Paul is commanding me and you and all of us to walk in love. How do we walk in love? Well, there's two things that we need to understand before we unpack this passage. We need to, first of all, understand that we are deeply loved by God ourselves. And then we need an example. We need a model. We need an exhibit. We need someone to show us what it means to walk in love. And we're going to see both of those truths in our time together in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. But let me start by asking you a question. Do you know you're loved by God? Do you know that in your heart of hearts and you feel that? There's someone in this room, perhaps you doubt that. 
Or maybe someone watching online today and you don't feel very loved by God. It could be a mistake you made. It could be a failure in your past or a sin that you've committed and you think that God puts you on the naughty list and you're not loved by him anymore. The first church that I ever pastored was in 1993 in Mississippi. And as I began to pastor this church, I made it my aim to visit every home in that little community. But everybody was warning me about this man named Mr. Dewey. They said, don't go to his house. He hates church. He hates preachers. And he thinks all preachers are a bunch of crooks. Well, my last name is Crook. So that wasn't going good for me. But I went and visited Mr. Dewey. And here's his hiccup. Here was his hiccup. He felt like God didn't love him because of some really bad things in his life that he did in his past. He felt like God could never accept him and love him. And we built a relationship, and we saw later on Mr. Dewey commit his life to Christ and to learn what it meant to be received by God, to be loved by God, and to walk in his love. And I want you to know today that God deeply loves you. Earlier, Paul would pray in Ephesians chapter 3. He got on his knees and he prayed and he said, God, my prayer for all the saints is that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And you need to be rooted and grounded in God's love because this is a cruel world. This is a broken world. And things can slip into your life and things can happen to you and the devil can dupe you and trick you and say, now look at there, God doesn't love you anymore and God has turned his back on you, but God will never, never stop loving us. You can never do anything for God to love you more and you can never do anything for God to love you less. I'm telling you, God loves you so much. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God carried a wallet, your picture would be in it. That's how much he loves you. And Paul is praying this prayer about love in Ephesians 3 that we might know the dimensions of the love of God. He said that we might know the breadth of God's love and uh, we might know the length of God's love and the height and the depth of God's love. And we need to know that God's love today is wide. It covers every problem, every concern, every anxiety, every worry, and every sin. God's love is long. It's from everlasting to everlasting. And it's unconditional and it will never end. God's love is high. It gives you access right now to all the spiritual wealth of heaven according to Ephesians 1 and 3. And God's love is deep. And if you ever find yourself in a pit of despair, wasn't it Corey Ten Boone that says, wherever you might find yourself in the depths of despair, God's love is deeper still. Nothing can separate you from God's love. If we could realize today how deeply we loved of God or loved of God, every care, insecurity, and anxiety would fade away. And so he's wanting us to see today that we're loved by God. Have you received that love? Because see, if you have not received God's love, you're going to try to fill that love void with something else. 
We, we won't touch on this today. Our time does not allow us. But if you go to verse 3 and 4 in this chapter 5, he talks about sexual impurity. And how many people fall into all types of sexual addictions and to toxic relationships because they're looking for affirmation. They're looking for love. Everyone wants to be affirmed in love. But see, listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we live from that affirmation and love. We don't live for it. We already have it. And so many people are living for love, but as followers of Christ, we're living from that love that we are loved by God. Now in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul gives us our outline that we're going to build our lesson on today. He talks about two things that we will uh, outline our time together. He talks about we are dearly beloved children. And then he shows us how we're loved by Christ. So I want you to look, first of all, make a note of this. You are a beloved child as beloved children. Now, if you look at verse one, Paul begins to write, we're to imitate God as beloved children. So when you confess with your mouth, I am a beloved child of God, it's a game changer. It changes your prayers, your priorities, how you respond to criticism and disappointment. You are God's child. Is everybody God's child? No. Everybody is God's creation. But to become God's child, you enter into the family through the new birth. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we enter a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we become his children. Now, as his children, we're commanded to do something. What are we commanded to do? Look again at verse 1. We're to imitate God. Therefore, be imitators of God. Underline that word, imitate. You know what it means. It means to copy or to mimic or to follow. We all have imitated someone. It's natural. I mean, it's how you learn to be a human being. You mimic someone. You imitate someone. That's just part of growing up. So I was saved at 11 years of age. I'm the baby of six. My mom and dad had six children and I'm the last of the litter. And so I was saved an 11 year old boy. And then God did something real amazing. He called me to be a preacher when I was 13. And so I began to preach when I was a 13 year old boy. But the problem was I didn't know how to preach. And I never went to school and had no training. So I just imitated all these preachers that I looked up to. And someone gave me a cassette tape when I was a 13-year-old boy of a preacher in Memphis, Tennessee by the name of Dr. Adrian Rogers. And boy, he had a preaching voice that Michael the archangel would get jealous of, you know? And so I began to mimic and imitate his voice when I was 13. But here's the problem. I hadn't went through puberty yet. My voice hadn't changed. So it didn't go very well with me. And so you all know what that means to imitate or to mimic people. I think probably the best illustration of imitating, we imitate our parents. And so when you're growing up, you imitated your dad or your mom. Did you ever put your daddy's shoes on when you were little? 
Did you ever put your mom's jewelry on uh, as a little girl wanting to be like your mom? We imitate our parents. My dad will turn 86 in a few days. And the last time I was visiting my dad, my mom in Jacksonville, my dad gave me one of the knives he carried when he was a working man. He was a machine shop welder operator. And my dad would carry a sodbuster lock blade knife and he gave it to me. I really treasure it. And so when I carry that knife, I always put it in my left back pocket. And the only reason I do that, that's where my dad carried his knife. I'm just imitating, I'm just mimicking what my dad did when I was a boy. And uh, it just kind of makes me feel like my dad when I put that knife there in that pocket like dad used to do. So when we mimic our parents, we can mimic good things and we also can do what? We can mimic not so good things, bad things. I heard about this mom and she was exhausted. She invited a bunch of people over to the house. She regretted after she gave the invitation, but too late. She's cleaning the house. She's doing all the cooking. She's exhausted. They're finally, they arrive. Everyone is at the dinner table and she asked her daughter to say the prayer. And the little girl says, mom, I'm nervous. No, just pray like you hear mama pray. So she said, okay, everybody bow their head. And the little girl said, dear God, why did I invite all these crazy people over to this home tonight? So, news flash to moms and dads out there. Be careful what you say and what you do because little eyes are watching you and little ears are hearing you and people will mimic us. If you're an old, older sibling, you got younger brothers and sisters. They look up to you and you want to be a godly influence and a godly example. And I will say this too. Many of us grew up in homes and we imitate stuff that's not good. And we don't like it. I mean, some of you, you get so angry when someone says, you're acting just like your dad or you're acting just like your mom. And it will just put red splotches on your neck. You get so upset because you don't want to mimic that particular trait of your parent because it wasn't a good trait to mimic. And, you know, I met a man recently uh, or talked to a man recently in our church. And you know what he told me? He said, I tell my wife and children every day verbally that I love them because he said, I grew up in a home my dad never told us. My dad never told my mom or never told the kids that he loved us. And I don't want to mimic that behavior. What I want you to hear today, that if there's some bad behavior that you feel like you can't stop imitating, the power of the gospel can break generational curses. And if there's some bad stuff that you grew up around, you don't have to embrace that. You don't have to drink that. You don't have to watch that. You don't have to practice that because the gospel sets us free. And so here's the thing about God. When Paul says, therefore be imitators of God, this is what I love. We'll never have to worry about copying something bad from God. See, God's holy, God's perfect, God's good, God's merciful, God is love. And all these wonderful traits of God, we can mimic. And by the way, that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be like Christ, to be like God, to be godly. And so he says that we are to imitate him as his dear children. Can we take a moment and just flesh out that statement as his beloved 
children. I love that. You know, in the scripture, it talks about our relationship with God in many ways. Sometimes it says God is the shepherd and we're the sheep. It might say that he is the head, we're the body. In one place, it says he is the vine dresser, we are the vine. He is the captain, we are the army. But my favorite metaphor, the relationship that we have with God, he is our father and we are his children. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, he didn't say pray our shepherd or our vine dresser. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? He said, pray like this, our, you know it, that's right, our father. I I love how that really means Abba, father. We call him Abba, father. I've always heard that and I believe it, but it took on new meaning for me a few years ago. I took a group from our church to Israel and we're in a hotel in Jerusalem eating breakfast there in the restaurant and we're getting ready to tour for the day and there's a dad and a mom and a family next to me, a beautiful Jewish family. And the little girl wanted her dad to get her some more pancakes from the uh, breakfast buffet. And so as he was going to the buffet to get him some stuff, she cried out, Abba, Abba, Abba. And he turned around and she said, get me more pancakes. And when I heard that, I thought that was so awesome because I've always heard that growing up, call God Abba Father. And I got this cool illustration in real time how a little girl was calling her dad, Abba. We are children of God. We are adopted children of God. When Paul opened up the letter of Ephesians, he reminded us that we're not orphans, we're adopted. Can I show you a scripture? And as I read it, you'll see it on the big screen. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to his will. So, If you have a relationship with God through Jesus, you're one of his kids. You're not an orphan. Stop living like an orphan. I feel like I run into so many Christians that pray like they're orphans. And they read God's promises from the Bible like they're orphans. And they they live out their Christian life like they're orphans. Stop doing that. You're not an orphan. You are an adopted child of God. And when you, can, when you can believe that in your heart and you can know that you are dearly beloved child of God, it gives you confidence. It gives you authority when you pray. And it helps you imitate the God that is now your father. Can we drive a little slow right now? Can we take a few moments and just see the beautiful picture of what it means for me and you and us to be adopted in God's family? There's some perks and privileges when you are adopted, and I want to show them to you. Maybe you might want to write them down. They'll encourage you today. Write this one down. When we're adopted, it means we have acceptance. Did you write that down? We have acceptance. Ephesians 1, 7 says, we are accepted in the beloved. 
That means you can never get kicked out of God's family. You know, an employer might get tired of you and fire you, but a parent will never fire their kids. Now, we've come close. But if you're a parent, you don't fire your kids. You love them. They never stop being your kids. They can be the biggest jerk, but a mom and a dad will love that child. They can majorly disappoint you, and you still love them. Now, I know there's a rare exception out there that maybe a parent turned their back on their child, but that's rare because moms and dads have this deep parental love for their children, and God loves me and you and us, and we're accepted, and we can never be kicked out of the family. We have acceptance. Would you write this down? We have access. We have access. Paul would talk about this in Ephesians chapter number two. He says, because of Jesus Christ, we have this access to the Father. And we can access that relationship that we have anytime. It doesn't matter the time of the day. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It's not based on your behavior. It's not conditioned on your perfection because you're not. It's all conditioned on his perfection because he is. And we can access God. You'll never get an out-of-office reply email response. You'll never get a a voice mailbox when you call out to God. You always have this access to him as your father. And he loves you so very, very much. My son, Josiah is uh, a ninth grader. And when Josiah was a little guy, he learned my cell number. Moms and dads, do you remember when your kids first learned your cell number and they would bug you all the time? (laughs) They would call you at the most inopportune times. So my son learned my number and he called one day when I was in a very important meeting. I didn't know it was Joe when the call came through. It said home. And so my wife, Becky, she knows my schedule and she would never interrupt me unless there's a 911 going on. So home's calling. I'm like, man, there must be a fire at the house or something. So I step out of the meeting and I'm like, hello. And it's my son saying, hey, dad, what you doing? I'm in a meeting. What kind of meeting? An important meeting. Are you bored? No, I'm fine. When are you coming home? It will be a while, Joe. Dad. Can I have a puppy? Son, that is not the time to talk about that. Okay, okay. Dad, when you come home, would you go by Sonic and get me a blue coconut slushy? And when I got home, I brought him his blue coconut slushy. Now, let me tell you something. We've got a lot of children in our church, and they don't have my cell phone number. Praise God. And if they did and called me to bring them something from Sonic, I love all those youngins, but I'm not taking them a slushy but I'll take one to my boy. Are you catching what I'm saying today? When you are a child of God, what concerns you concerns him. What is on your heart and mind concerns him. I remember when I got contact lenses as a teenage boy and I was nervous. This was the time when they weren't cool. They were like hard. You'd beat them out with a hammer and then put them in your eye. And I remember I wore contact lenses for the first time when I was in middle school and I was so nervous and didn't know what it'd be like. And when I got home, my mom says, call your daddy. He's probably called six times today wanting to make sure how your day was and what your day was like with those contact lenses. Call him. He wants to know. And I'm going to tell you, that moment, 
I felt such love that my dad would be concerned about contact lenses. I'm going to tell you something. When you are accepted and have access to a loving father, every burden on your heart, he cares about. He inscribes your name on the palms of his hand. He catches your tears in a bottle. He numbers the number of hairs on our head. Write this down. He accepts us. He gives us access. We have protection. That means that his eyes are never off us. When when our kids were little and we'd go to the mall, we have a big mall near our house called the Mall of Georgia. It's a big old mall. And there's a play area. It's a virus-infested play area that a million children play in. And so when my kids were younger, they loved to play in that area. And so I would, I'd watch all these kids. They're running all around. But I'd never take my eyes off that brown-headed noggin, my son, because I'm his dad. And wherever he went, if he's in the tree, climbing the tree, under the slide, I'd watch for my son. I'd watch for my daughter because I love them. And the Lord's eyes are never taken off us. His eyes are always on us. You may feel like this has been a difficult year for you. It's been a difficult year for all of us. But the Lord knows the members of Bellevue that have COVID. The Lord knows those that have had some really, really hard financial times through not being able to go to work during this year. And he cares and he provides. My God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And everything that happens to me, me and you is father filtered. We have a Romans eight twenty eight God that we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. And behind everything that happens to us, God has a purpose. God has a plan. And his eyes are never taken off of us. Hey, write this down. We have an inheritance. And according to Ephesians 1 and 11, we've been included in the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. And we have received all of heaven's wealth. And it's not waiting on us. It's ours now. We can access it right now, all the spiritual blessings that he has given us. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because you're not an orphan. Stop living like a spiritual orphan. You are a royal blue blood. You are so saved it's pitiful. You are a child of God. And so imitate the father because you were made for family love and you're in the family of God and your big brother is Jesus and everything you need, God will provide. And so that's how we imitate that love. I think one of the best illustrations about the relationship that we have with the father, I keep going to it every single time, the parable of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, you know the story. There was a dad and he had two sons, had an older son, had a younger son. The younger son was arrogant, entitled. He said to his dad, now half belongs to my older brother, half will belong to me when you die, but I want it now. He's asking for that when the dad had not even died yet. And the dad gave him his half. Did he go to the bank and make the biggest withdrawal that he's ever made? Gave it all to the younger brother, his inheritance. He took off. He left the Ponderosa, went into the far country, blew all his money on a bunch of stupid stuff, broke. Sin will always break you. He's in a hog pen. He has nothing he comes to himself. Is that not a picture of repentance when you come to yourself? He says, I got to go back. I got to confess my sin to my dad. And he had this speech in mind to 
say to his dad, I've royally messed up. I've sinned against you. So he comes back to the father. As he's coming back to the father, what does the father do? A father accepts. A father gives access. A father protects. A father gives wealth. The father sees his son from a distance. He runs. What a picture of God running. He runs to his son. Did he cross? Did he cut across the cornfield? He pounces on his son, not with retribution, but love. Can't you see that daddy putting kisses all over the son's face? He says, son, here's a robe. Here's a ring. Here's a fatted calf. We thought you were dead. You're back. We're going to celebrate. Welcome my son back home. Everybody's happy, but not the elder brother. He's hopping mad. He can't believe what the dad is doing. Because see that ring that he gave the younger brother? That's now his ring. That robe that he gave the younger brother? That's now his robe. That fatted calf? It's his. He's giving away my stuff. I've worked my fingers to the bones and he's giving it all away to that idiot. Why is he doing this? He's upset. Why did Jesus include the elder brother in that parable? To rebuke the Pharisees. And maybe to rebuke me and you. And to show us what real love is. Because see, you know who the real elder brother is in Luke 15? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Because a real elder brother would go and find the younger brother. The real elder brother would go to the hog pen and say, Young brother, here's my robe. Take it. Here's my ring, wear it. Here's my fatted calf, feast on it. I'm freely giving it to you. It's all at my expense. So you can enter back in the joy of the Father. It was Jesus, the elder brother, that big brothered us and brought us to the Father. And now we're in this beautiful, incredible family. And that's the family that we're to imitate and we're to walk in love. Because Christ loved us and God loved us. Amen, church. Can I show you something else? Move your eyes from verse 1 to verse 2 and write this down. As Christ loved us. Now Paul is giving us that example of love. See, we, 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 we need a role model. You know, a lot of people that come to faith in Jesus Christ, you disciple them here at Bellevue, and you teach them things that they never had modeled. And you know what we need to learn? We need to learn what it looks like to love like Christ. And that's why Paul says in verse 2, walk in love, that's a commandment, as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So Paul says we need a a role model on how to love, and that role model is Jesus. We're to love others like Jesus loved us. How much did Jesus love us? You know, when you were little, you'd say, Mom, Dad, I love you this much. You'd hold out your arms, remember? You know what Jesus did from the cross? He said to everybody, I love you this much. I love you this much. And he extended his hands out and died for us. And don't ever think that nails held Jesus to the cross. It was cords of love. He loved us. He wrote us a love letter, and it was written in red. And he said, this is what I, this is how much I love you. He would say this to his disciples in John 15, 13. 
Greater love has no one more than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he called us his friends. We are friends of Jesus. And he gave his life for us. Look at verse 2. He gave himself up for us. That's the crucifixion. That's the cross as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We know about those sacrifices. The whole Old Testament is built on the sacrificial system. Those priests were exhausted. They had to offer day after day sacrifices for the sins of the people. They could never sit down. But then Jesus came. Yeshua, God saves. The perfect sacrifice. And he came and offered himself once for our sins. And the Bible says he sat down. The work is completed. Those priests, their legs hurt. They were exhausted as they would have to always stand offering sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. But then Jesus came with the perfect sacrifice that atoned our sins. Atonement, at one minute, made us one with God, reconciled us to God, and it became a fragrant offering to God. And God accepted that sacrifice. Paul would write in Romans 5, but God showed us his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, here it is, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. We're not under condemnation. We're not under God's wrath because we're beloved children of God. And now we're to walk in that love. So what does the walk of love look like? Look at Jesus. A couple months ago, I was getting my wife's, uh, her expedition, the oil changed. And I went to pay at the counter. And this man that took my credit card when I was paying for the oil change, he had a, he had a bracelet on his wrist or wristband or something like that. And they were real popular years ago and it had four initials and all the Christians wore them. What did, they, what did it say? Remember? Yeah, you remember. I'm telling you, back in the day when those were popular, if you didn't wear one, you were going to go to hell. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody had a WWJD on. I tell you, this has been such a mean year. We might ought to all bring them back out again, right? We, uh, hello, yes, we can wear those again. Where did it come from? It came from a classic book by a man named Charles Shelton that wrote a book called In His Steps. And he wrote about what it means to follow the steps of Jesus. And one of those is walking in his steps by loving people. And there's not one person Jesus didn't love. You go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He loved everybody. The leprous person that everybody would shriek and run, Jesus touched. The, the, the lady that was an outcast and couldn't be part of the Samaritan clique, she wasn't part of the Samaritan woman's book club, and they dished her, threw shade at her. Jesus went and waited for her to come to the well, and he showed her love. He even loved his enemies. Judas, he loved Judas. Have you ever had a Judas in your life? We are shown by Jesus how to even love the Judases. And so we're to walk in love like Jesus loved others. And I, I just thought as we bring this message to a close, you know what I feel like we always need as the people of God? 
on ramps to obedience. We, we, we need some, we need the spiritual cookies on the bottom shelf that even little children in the room or watching online can apply this message. And here's a couple on ramps. Here's how, how we all can walk in love, a couple practical ways, and Jesus already modeled it for us. Here's one, write them down. Love serves. Love serves. And Jesus was always serving others. Matter of fact, he said this about himself in the Gospel of Mark. It's his mission statement. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He was called the suffering servant. Jesus didn't wait for people to serve him. He would serve. Remember, they were eating a meal. It was the last meal. And the lowest-ranking disciple would be the one to wash everyone's feet. And no one got up to wash feet because no one thought they were the lowest ranking disciple. And so they're all arguing about how awesome they are. You know, you know, I'm the dom, I'm the bomb.com. They were all arguing how awesome they were. And no one would get up and serve. Who got up and served? Jesus. He got up and served. He washed their feet. And then he said to them, what I did is an example. I want you to do what I just did. And we're to serve one another. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, there's this beautiful passage on marriage. Husbands and wives, we're to serve one another. Find out the love language of your spouse and serve them. We're to serve one another in the body of Christ. And, and when, we, when we have this spirit of entitlement and we just set on our blessed assurance and we're waiting for someone to come to us, that is so unloving. And so find someone to serve today, this week. It could be the open door for you to disciple them or even more important, to bring them to Christ. Write this down. Love is kind. Look at Ephesians 4 and 32. The Bible says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And so, that is the way we can love like Jesus. Be kind. Can you think of a time Jesus was not kind? I cannot. And how we need kindness. This has been an unkind year. This has been an unkind election. People today are so unkind on Facebook and social media. And you know what disturbs me is when I see fellow believers be unkind on social media you know, I think Christianity dies a thousand deaths when Christians are rude and unkind. I believe that Christians never have the luxury of being unkind. You remember that. But you should see how they treat me. Okay, I get it. We've all been treated badly. But here's a good rule. Treat others based on how God treats you. How does God treat you? Very good. And we're to treat others that way. Kindness, don't make it complex. Kindness is love in the little things. Mark Twain says kindness is the language that a deaf man can hear and a blind man can see. And kindness can open up so many doors. Look for someone to be kind to. Let someone in traffic. Oh, they never let me in traffic. Let someone in and then smile at them. If they don't wave at you, don't bump them and blow your horn and pray imprecatory prayers over them. What's wrong with us? 
Be like Jesus. Love forgives. Write that down. Love forgives. Jesus forgave you. And we are showing love when we forgive others. But they've wronged me. They've, they've stabbed me in the back. They betrayed me. But whatever they've done to you, you've probably done to someone else. You know why you should love difficult people? Because you're one of them. We all are difficult at times. And every terrible sin someone's committed against us, Christ paid for that sin on the cross. And a matter of fact, Jesus said those that feel loved a lot forgive the most. Remember that woman that uh, anointed him and washed his feet with tears and they ridiculed her. And Jesus said, leave her alone because those that have been forgiven of much love much. And when you know how forgiven you are and you know what a wretched soul you were before Christ, you can't help but show love and forgive others because Christ has forgiven you. Charles Spurgeon said, let us go to the cross to be forgiven and then let's stay at the cross so we can learn how to forgive. What did Jesus pray from the cross? Father, forgive them. And then write this down, love gives. Love gives. See, before we had the love of God in our heart, we were takers. But now when Jesus comes in and we walk in love, we want to give. This Bellevue store you ought to participate in that. You know why you should do it? Because Jesus would. And anytime we're being generous, we're showing the heart of God. When he said, imitate God as dear children, one of the ways I can imitate God is when I give to someone else. And see, I think we think that generosity, you got to be filthy dog rich. You don't have to have a lot of money to be generous. You just have to have a heart to be generous. And when you have a heart to be generous, you are being like your Abba Father. And then write this down, love shows. Love is more than talk. Love is action. 1 John 3 and 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then John would write, and we can be sure that we know if we obey his commandments. And if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word, look at this, truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we're living in him. Okay, I want you to close your Bible. But I want you to keep your heart open because I have two questions for you. Number one, do you know today that God loves you? Because this has been a tough year. And we live in a broken world. And everything's under the curse of sin. And you can begin to think that you're not loved by God. And you need to be rooted and grounded that nothing can separate you from God's love. It was, it was a couple years ago. I had something going on in my life that was real heavy. It was a huge burden. A lot of problems that I had to solve. And I didn't know what to do. And I had a hard time sleeping. I could not sleep when I would lay down. I'd turn and toss, and I'd think about all those problems. And then I'd finally just get exhausted in dwelling on my problems, and I'd just fall asleep. 
And then my eyes would pop open, sometimes like at two or four. Has that ever happened to you? I hate that. And immediately, all those problems would, would rush in again. And, and I just was filled with anxiety. And then a spiritual exercise I began to practice changed everything. I would lay down at night, and I wouldn't think about my problems. I'd think about how much God loves me. I would dwell on his love for me and how he cared for me. And what was I, I was so burdened about was, was on his heart. And I would just like, remember when you'd fall asleep in your parents' arms when you were little? I felt like I'd just like, I felt like I'd just fall asleep in God's arms. And then, and then I'd wake up at that weird hour and that anxiety would try to come back. But I'd say, no, 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 no. I'm loved by God. Abba, Father. I belong to you, not because of what I do, but in spite or in spite of what I do, I belong to you because I'm your child and I would just fall asleep. Does someone need that right now? You're going through something in a marriage, in a family, at work. I tell you, this time of the year can bring out the best and the worst. You know what I'm talking about? And how we need to be rooted and grounded in God's love. And then secondly, are you walking in love? Are you walking in love? Don't you just audit this sermon. Don't you just audit this Bible lesson. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you live it out. You know who you're to be at work? You're to be Jesus with skin on. You're to love difficult people. You're to serve and be kind and forgive and give and show and you know the best place to start that is in our homes. The best laboratory of love is not at work, it's at home. I've always believed if you can be a good Christian in the home, you can be a good Christian anywhere. But if you can't be a good Christian in the home, you can't be a good Christian anywhere. And it starts at home. Take a step. And how can God use you? Bellevue loves Memphis. That's your heart. Now, Bellevue, the church, loves Memphis, but do you, the individual member of Memphis, carry that heart of love in your heart? Why don't you bow your heads with me? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Your pastors are getting ready to come to the ends of the aisle. You know what happens here. If you need a pastor to pray for you, they would love to have a prayer over you right now. Maybe you want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you have a need and you just need some pastoring. Your pastors are here to love on you. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, maybe you're viewing online or in the room, would you like to begin a relationship with God through Jesus? I would love to help you. Would you pray right now and believe in your heart? Make this your prayer. Pray these words. God, I need your love. I want to know it and feel it. And I pray that you would receive me through your son, Jesus Christ. I turn from my sin and I pray that Jesus would forgive me of my sin and help me now to walk with you and to walk in love. Maybe you're a believer and God convicted you in the message. You know what I've learned? The Holy Spirit can probe our hearts and just take like one simple thing that we need to take away. What's that one thing for you right now? 
Do you need to confess? Do you need to ask God to help you walk in love? This is your opportunity to do it. Father, thank you for Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And now as we continue to worship, help us, God, lean in, experience your love, and to make a commitment to walk in love. In the name of Jesus, we make this prayer. Amen.